0: Hey, nerds. Thanks so much for joining us. We have a fantastic episode for you today. I am joined by not only a fantastic technician, but also just a general amazing person as well. I am joined by Jenny Fisher, who is an RBT and also a BTS in oncology. So come with us as we go through a journey of oncology and pain management as it surrounds all of our oncology patients and just some job opportunities as well. We have a whole big conversation planned for you guys, so stay tuned and help me welcome Jenny Fisher. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How's it going, Jenny? Good, hanging in there,
1: you know, surviving. Yes. You know, COVID <laughs> yeah. COVID <laughs> life. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And now there's a, another hurricane headed this way, so that's always fun, you know. Just keeps on coming. What part of the country are you located in? So I am in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, so I'm about an hour northwest of New Orleans.
0: Okay, so you guys are seeing your, you have seen and continue to see your fair share of hurricanes.
1: Oh, yeah, good times, good times.
0: Right, not something we usually get up <laughs> in Philadelphia, but you also don't have to deal with blizzards or snowstorms, so, you know.
1: Absolutely, and I, honestly, I think I would take the hurricanes. I can't drive in snow. It's good. Probably safer <laughs> you know for what? everybody, that I'm down here. <laughs>
0: um, I mean, no offense to half of the people who live here, but most people who are, you know, I have to drive into New Jersey every day for work. And um, yeah, most of those people can't drive in the snow either. They think they can, but no, no, it's bad. Uh, I know my limitations. So, I want to talk to you today, Uh, we're going to talk about a lot of things, Um, but first, uh, you are a BTS in oncology, so I kind of want to ask, so for people who are listening who might be thinking about specializing in different, you know, I always talk about anesthesia and pain management, we've had some ECC people on here, so your first BTS in oncology, and I just wanted to kind of pick your brain, why oncology, like what was it about oncology that really spoke to you as a specialty, and why you wanted to get more involved? You know, first of all, thank you for having
1: me here. It's a little intimidating coming into this group. It's an honor to come in and talk about all things oncology. Uh, so thank you for having me. Um, you know, oncology wasn't something I knew that I wanted out of technician school. I'd actually moved to South Florida and was working there. Uh, ended up taking a job at uh, Louisiana State University at the Cancer Treatment Unit in Baton Rouge uh, back in 2002, and Within about two weeks of having that job, I met a patient who changed my life and who changed me as a person. Uh, it was a chocolate lab who had an intranasal tumor with cribriform invasion that was having seizures, uh, went to 3D imaging, had a CT scan, uh, then actually had a rhinotomy. It was actually an intranasal mast cell tumor, which is a really interesting presentation to begin with. Um, mm-hmm. But he actually went into a respiratory arrest following CT. Oh uh, was, God! Yeah, it was it was a, it was a nightmare. Uh, we were actually in the room talking to the owner, and they you know they page oncology ICU stat oncology you know and you know what that is instantly. Mm-hmm. And within two weeks of my first job, I was terrified. Right, had, at a university, I was a baby technician at the time. I was absolutely terrified. Um, and basically, I really I, I didn't know what I was getting into. Um, And this owner was uh, very specific in his goals for Bear. Uh, Bear was a Frisbee champion and competed in Frisbee and agility. And that was what this dog lived for. And the owner, you know, pretty much said, if we can't do that, uh, there's no point in continuing this. You know, and at the time I was like, oh, my gosh, this dog's on a ventilator. He's not going to ever catch a Frisbee again. What are we talking about? Um, And Bear actually went through radiation therapy Uh, and actually lived four years past that event. Um, And within the next two weeks, following Bear's admission to the hospital, watching his progression, watching his response to radiation therapy, literally seeing this dog come back to life in front of my eyes, watching him catch a Frisbee again. It was profound um, in how it affected me as a person, how it affected me as a technician, and the ability of what I saw cancer therapy and cancer treatment could do, and so it wasn't until I was immersed uh, in the oncology world that it really got into my blood, uh, you know. But for the next 17 years of my clinical experience, that was where I was, and you know, I would say bears probably the driving force um, for my VTS, uh, but it, oncology was something it was a lot like medicine, and then the Easter egg hunt. You know there's cancer somewhere. A lot of times you got to find it, and a lot of times these patients also have other concurrent health conditions, right? They're medicine cases too. So it's this balancing act of quality of life, managing these concurrent diseases and treatment of their cancer process, um, and as well as the emotional bond that you develop not only with uh, the owners uh, but also also with those patients. So it's a lot, um, but you know it allows me and has given me something greater than I ever have given it. That's for sure.
0: Yeah, you bring up something interesting. Sexually, I would think that you're probably developing these long-term relationships with these owners, um, which is something that maybe I don't get to experience as much just working in anesthesia. You know, when a dog comes in for a TPLO, we're seeing it and we may see it for a recheck, but we're not usually, um, this is not a patient that we're spending months and months and months or even years with, you know, um, uh, yeah. especially anesthesia-wise, I may be only spending the day with them. so. Right.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I have owners that I still receive Christmas cards from that I treated their dogs in 2003, 2004. You know, I get invited to family functions of, you know, I've pet sat for. I mean, it's it's a um, it's a whole nother aspect for sure. Um, but I, I think that also adds to the stressful component of, of the job as well. So it's, it's you have to find that balance, but um, those those long-term relationships are certainly possible within the oncology world. We see them a lot.
0: So you were working at the university, you got your BTS, uh, but I know now you're kind of on a, a different side of things. You actually work uh, in like veterinary industry or in the industry side. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about that? Because I know that there might be some technicians as well who might have been working clinically. You know, you get to about that 10 year mark and you're like, hmm, is there something else in vet med for me? Uh, and some people go into research or teaching, uh, but then the industry is a side of veterinary medicine that I think is uh, open to technicians that maybe we don't think about as much.
1: Absolutely. Uh, It's interesting because I actually used to lecture to undergrad students at LSU when I was employed there about other job opportunities with credentialed veterinary degrees. So other things you can do besides clinical work. I lectured about this. Um, and, And then Here I was in a situation where I was looking for something to better my career and industry was something that was made available to me. I was terrified. Um, I had always, you know, had the thought, I'm not a salesperson, I can't sell stuff, right? And then I really got into that thought process of, well, when you think about it, I have sold stuff for years, right? I've sold cancer treatment, I've sold, you know, heartworm treatment, I've sold vaccines, I've sold proper nutrition, right? It's telling the facts and telling the story. And if you have data support and the relevance within that clinical space, that's that's really all you're doing because that information is going to stand for itself. So, you know, I have actually become the director of education for PractiVet. It's a fluid therapy company. They've been absolutely fantastic to me. And these were products, it, it was an easy kind of switch for me in the mentality that I knew the company. These were products that when I was at the university, I had actually instituted as part of a committee into our ICU and our hospital. So I already knew the products. Um, but it was it was overwhelming. It's been a great thing for me. I think it's something that a lot of technicians probably don't think about, but it is a great option. And I'm happy to answer anybody's questions if they, if they ever are wondering about switching to the other side of the industry.
0: I think, at least for me, one of the things that I'm a big proponent of is really technicians making a living wage. And interestingly enough, like you can make a living, we can make pretty decent money in industry.
1: Absolutely, uh, I am in a better financial space than I have ever been, and I made really good money working in a university as, as a head technician for a very long time. Uh, you know, I made. a year in the university. And I make almost double that in industry. Um, And so that's a huge possibility and a game changer. That's that's life changing uh, for technicians. And it's something that I think a lot of people don't think is attainable, but it is. I tell them, you know, if you're using products or things in the hospital that you already love, believe in, and there's data to support it, reach out to the company. Get, you know, talk about lecturing, talk about doing more clinical trials or getting invested in research or clinical aspect research of their products. It's something that certainly companies are looking for,
0: and it's something that technicians are great at anyway. Yeah, I mean, I think everybody knows at this point that my ten-year plan is definitely to like go work for Orion Pharmaceuticals, who, if you guys don't know, are the makers of Dex uh and live <laughs> and live in Finland. So, I mean, I've, I'm I'm planting that seed now so I can work in industry I <laughs> later. Think
1: I, I think we need to start that hashtag and start tagging some folks.
0: <laughs> oh no, they <laughs> all the people in Finland already know. Like, <laughs> like they know I'm coming. So eventually, eventually, I'll get there. All right. So, I mean, again, I think that, you know, technicians having these opportunities, it's not just like, you know, you're not limited to just working at the GP practice down the road. There's so many avenues for technicians. Um. So kind of getting back to the clinic, though, because you did spend a lot of time in the clinic, um, and since you've been in it for, like, you know, the past 15 years, uh, specifically looking at oncology, what are some things that you've seen, like, what kind of progress have you seen us make in the veterinary world as far as oncology patients go?
1: You know, I think there's a lot more acceptance. I think there is a lot more early detection that's happening within our general practices. I think there's more education to the general practitioner about early detection in cancer patients. It's becoming uh, more mainstay. I think we've also in the pain management realm, we've looked at cancer pain specifically, you know, that has typically and traditionally been studied mainly in murine models and, and taken from the human literature. But we know that that cancer pain specifically is, is kind of like a, a distinct pain entity. Um, you know, we know that it affects the peripheral and central nervous system, but that it can be interpreted as different than neuropathic pain or inflammatory pain. And it's kind of this combination of both. And especially when we see things like bone tumors, we know that, you know, osteolysis that's mediated by osteoclast actually contributes to that bone pain as well. So multimodal cancer or pain management approach specifically in cancer patients, I think, has also kind of made great strides in in looking and treating those patients with a multimodal approach um, more than we did in the past.
0: I mean, definitely you're speaking my language when you start <laughs> saying multimodal, which is great. So uh, this is a case-based podcast. So uh, you game to run through a case with us and say how it. you would treat it? All Let's right. do it. So your case is a 10-year-old golden retriever, referring veterinarian, has sent it over because they have uh, discovered osteosarcoma. And the owner wants to come and talk about treatment options because they really don't want to amputate. So can you walk us through, like, what are some treatment options to keep this patient as healthy and living the best life as possible if the owner doesn't want to just go to amputation? All right. I think that is a great question and a great case and pretty typical with that golden retriever. You know, we
1: we do know that about 85% of primary bone tumors in dogs are osteosarcoma. We do know that it can cause that proliferation and lysis of the bone, which can also be very painful. Uh, the mainstay of, of medical management for these kids is going to be oral therapies. Now, we know that in those those murine models and, and pa- in human patient models that opioids or morphine tend to be required at three to ten times the levels or doses to acquire adequate pain control in these patients, in cancer in cancer pain patients specifically. Wow. Now, and when we talk about those really high doses, we get into those really negative quality of life side effects, right? So then we have owners complaining that, you know, the, the patients are constipated, you know, they're not sleeping or they're drinking too much or, or whatever. And that becomes a quality of life issue. So when we're talking about cancer medicine, our single qualifier is quality of life, right? That is what we focus on. And so if we have an owner that because we're treating these patients with so many opioids, that they're having these negative effects, because we have to use these really, really high doses to get adequate pain control, you know, we also know that opioids may actually contribute to breakthrough pain with cancer patients. You know, we have ongoing chronic baseline pain, which is that dull, throbbing pain. And then we have breakthrough, that, that breakthrough pain. And we actually have evidence out there that suggests that those opioids can actually contribute to that. So using things like NSAIDs, NSAIDs are going to be the first line of medical management for, uh, for cancer pain and bone cancer pain specifically. I am a huge fan huge fan of acetaminophen. I think this is can be used great um, in a lot of these patients because of that inflammatory component. You've got that osteolysis coming in, right? Happening within the bone, as well as just the inflammatory component within the tissues of having that space occupying lesion within the bone as well. So that works great. Adding in some codeine um, and gabapentin to cover that neuropathic pain. I I don't know how everybody feels about Tramadol, but Tramadol is worthless. Don't, if you are treating these bone patients with Tramadol, it's a, it's wasting the money and wasting the time of the owner, um, in my personal opinion.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I haven't. I, I don't have any studies that that really will support uh, you know um, really great pain control with tramadol and right. even you know right. the um, the IVAPM International Veterinary Academy of pain management actually took tramadol off of their list as far That's as post operative awesome. pain control goes uh, just because we, the data is not there
1: good Good. The, you know, the other thing that we would add in for, for this type of patient would be just some type of supplement, some glucosamine, chondroitin, just to add in for that for that joint supplement as well. The other thing that we look at is bisphosphonate therapy. So we know that bisphosphonates are osteoclast inhibitors, right? And we're trying to decrease that bone resorption, right? And so this is actually a drug that we use for osteoporosis in women. Uh, it's an IV administration some of the ones the older generation pomidronate that's been out on the market you know that's been widely used but there are some newer generation bisphosphonates Zoledronate is the one that you may have heard of most commonly we know that that zoledronate is actually about 10 to 20 times if not more effective than pomidronate uh, we know that in the human models People who receive bisphosphonates that have bone cancer pain, whether primary or metastatic bone cancer pain, see about a 50% relief um, in their pain symptoms. So using this multimodal approach, using things like acetaminophen and NSAID, and NSAIDs are going to vary from patient to patient, right? There's going to be one that's going to work better. We do have some data in the cancer realm to support that carprofen, may actually have some anti-tumor, anti-cancer um, effects as well. All wow. of that's yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's actually some interesting info. We can have a whole podcast just on that um, as well. So using that with gabapentin, glucosamine, chondroitin, Plus, minus those bisphosphonates as well. The other thing I have to mention for pain control with osteosarcoma patients is radiation therapy. I know it's not medical management, but it is truly one of the most effective methods we have in supporting pain control in these patients. Now, when we talk about making them feel better, we also have to remember that they still have a diseased bone, right? So we balance that. We make them feel better, but we still don't want them to be too active. So we wanna reduce that risk of having a pathologic fracture by making them feel too good. So making sure the owner knows that they still have to restrict that activity, uh, but potentially um, hopefully making them feel good enough to do all of the normal things that they do in life. Uh, and radiation therapy plus the medical management can do great at that as well.
0: What role does, I know for you know human cancer patients, nutrition mm-hmm. is huge. Absolutely. Um, So what role does that play in, again, keeping them living their best life, and what are your recommendations for that for these patients who might be on a myriad of drugs that might affect their appetite? Absolutely. So we know that
1: cancer or neoplastic cells tend to thrive in a sweet or sugary environment, right? So we tend to feed those less sugary, lower carb, kind of higher protein diets to a lot of these patients. Now, There is no, unfortunately, magic balance with nutrition as far as your cancer patient goes. But I think when we talk about cancer cachexia, a lot of those patients that can't actually put on weight because that tumor is metabolizing so much of that energy, we actually look at increasing feeding those patients things like puppy food right? Very, very high calorie, very tough on their tummies. We have to protect the tummies as well, but feeding them things that are very, very high in calorie. And a lot of times we can do that with these osteopatients as well. The other thing you have to keep in mind, if you're feeding them higher calorie diet, though, they're going to put on weight. And the thing we don't want is for them to put more weight on that structure because they have that, that bone or that limb still
0: attached. These are kind of truly like you know, like anesthesia, where you're balancing eight different things. Like you're really (laughs) trying to keep it all in check. Absolutely. Absolutely. See how much fun it is. See, don't you want to come over to the dark side of oncology? (laughs) It's amazing. I mean, we do have a pretty great oncology department at my practice, and luckily, um, I only need to get involved when they have, you know, something that's super critical and needs a CT or MRI, so uh, luckily, I don't have to get involved in the oncology too much, um, but they look like they're having fun in there in their, like, spacesuit, you know, <laughs> uh, PPE when they're in there doing their chemotherapy. We just play dress-up. It's, it's, it's good. It's yeah. Good. You're having a good time. Yeah. Um, so for, you know, for the profession, for your, the, you know, technicians who might be interested in oncology, just like in closing, where do you see the profession going or what's something that you like, if you had a word of advice for techs who are interested in like getting into oncology in the future, what advice would you have for them?
1: Oh, my goodness. Uh I... Look up any CE, find any CE that you have available that's available to you. There's lots of it on the web right now, um, and see what you can find. Ask questions. If you are at a practice that maybe doesn't do a lot of oncology, talk to your to your practice owner. Talk to your veterinarians and see if that's maybe something that you could implement as a as a practice that you could be a part of. Reach out to me. Reach out to any of the other VTSs with the uh, AIMVT Academy, the Internal Medicine Academy, we are happy to help you. We're happy to answer any questions that you may have. Uh, If you work with an oncologist, if you work with an internist, ask them questions. Ask questions about these oncology cases. You know, 50% of the animals over the age of eight are going to develop neoplasia. So I know you're seeing it, right? It's out there. Mm -hmm. So just start asking lots of questions um, and start reading. There's lots of great literature out there, lots of great books as well uh, about veterinary oncology. The Withrow and McEwen just came out uh, fifth or sixth edition, I believe. Uh, That's a, a great place to start.
0: Fantastic. And, you know, what it sounds like with talking to you and just knowing my oncology department and my specialty and referral practice um, is that we really have come a long way for these patients. I mean, I can remember uh, 15 years ago, I remember I had only been in the clinic for a year and I remember a, a pity came in and had uh, a lesion, front leg osteosarcoma. They were talking about uh, amputation and the owners decided to euthanize. And Mm -hmm. I remember that that seemed to be the only treatment option 15 years ago. It was amputation or euthanize. And um, so to see that these patients can live, you know, a decent quality of life is really, you know, speaks to the advancements that we have made, you know, and that technicians specifically, you know, being the advocates for the patient have made in this field.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, uh, it's an honor to share this profession with so many great people actually. Um, but we've made huge advancements, uh, especially in cancer medicine and it's only going to get more and more and more and more, um, which is exciting. You know, it's, it's exciting. Unfortunately, cancer affects all of us at some point in our lives. Uh, so it's nice to have continued growth in that area of medicine.
0: Yes, you are correct. All right. So I'm going to throw one last thing at you uh, because mm. this This podcast comes out on Mondays. Um, We like to do a shout out and what we call a mentor Monday. So this is your opportunity to give a shout out to a a mentor that you might have in the veterinary industry who has helped, you know, shape your career.
1: Oh, that has to be Amanda Shelby. Um, She's so
0: fantastic. (laughs) uh, Amanda is, uh, you
1: know, Amanda and I worked together for probably five or six years maybe maybe four or five years. I don't remember. She'll know. Um, at LSU, she was in the anesthesia department, and I was the head oncology technician. We ran a lot of cases together. Uh, we worked really, really well together. She taught me a lot about anesthesia. Uh, I think I taught her a little about oncology, uh, but we developed a great bond. She is uh, one of the people who helped me with my VTS application more than once. I will say that. Um, And she's just been a great friend and a great role model in the industry. Um, I'm proud to know her, honestly. And uh, huge shout out to Amanda for sure.
0: Yeah. I mean, Amanda Shelby is one of the greats uh, as far as technician educators go. So if you guys ever have the chance to hear Amanda Shelby lecture, she's a VTS in anesthesia. She's really fantastic. Um, also has like, you know, a whole bunch of children she's homeschooling <laughs> as well. So she's, she's, rearing, just, yeah. she's just like super mom. Um, so yeah. shout out to her. She's she's pretty fantastic. So thank you so much for joining us, Jenny. Uh, I will put a link uh, to Jenny's uh, information in our show notes and also a link to the um, veterinary technician oncology, like the specialty page, if you guys are interested in looking that up and getting more information on that. Um, But hopefully we can have Jenny back to talk about some further treatment modalities and pain management. So thank you so much, Jenny. Thank you for having me.